it's it's a great feeling to know that these people look up to you and that they're they're actually paying attention to you and learning things and then you get to see them implement it All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Between, Between Two, Two Taps, where Bryce is perfectly synchronizing my intro, and where we talk to web dev students, professors, and tech people from all around the valley. Although it's not web dev anymore; it's software engineering. Software engineering. Ooh, yeah. As of 2019, stuff. it's software engineering. Oh, for that's the actual name of the, the galvanized program. Yep. For wow. Yeah, so it went from web dev to software engineering, but we still have the data science. Well, it looks like we're going to have to dive a little bit more into that. Yeah. But first of all, we're joined by our good new friend and not so new friend for Bryce, Nick DeRico. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going well. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming to not blah. Nick can't speak today. It's been four, uh, four weeks since the last episode. so <laughs> Hasn't even had a beer yet. Uh, thanks for coming on. I know some people, uh, you know, when we shove the microphone in front of their face, it can be a little intimidating. So I appreciate you coming on. And Nick yeah, is a course, instructor course. of our software engineering program. I am. This I am. is going to get confusing with both Nicks. Yes. So <laughs> yes. So, so Nick, the guest, Nick D. We have Nick D and Nick T here. Yes. Uh, Nick D. So you're a, you're an instructor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, beautiful. I've been an instructor since uh, May of 2018. Okay, so it sounds like you know a little bit what's going on here. And, and you and went through our program, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was a student. So he's best of both worlds, student Graduated and now instructor. became instructor. I'm interested yeah. to know how that transition even happened. So let's jump back to when you joined Galvanize uh, and kind of take us through through the basic beginnings. I know it's kind of boring at first to get through the basics, but I think it'll help us all understand a little bit more about you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so. Pre-Galvanize, I uh, I was a CAD programmer at a, a dye shop. So like AutoCAD? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on a smaller scale. So So for people listening, it's uh, essentially an engineering program, yeah. correct? Yeah, pretty much. I, I drew. The computer helped me draw, and I, I drew little pieces of art. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, I drew stuff with fancy. the computer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I worked for a very small company, and uh, there was a ceiling. And at my age, I, I was not prepared to hit that ceiling already. So uh, I decided to make a change. And thankfully, uh, my fiance was willing to just say, hey, New do fiance. what you got to do. Yeah. New fiance. Yeah. yeah. Not even fiance at the time. Yeah. Um, now, now at that time, were you living in Arizona? Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah. So 2015 uh, is when I moved to Arizona. And last, uh, so 2017 in November is when I decided that I was going to join Galvanize. Very cool, and I'm interested. I'm just very intrigued right now to to hear the rest of this story because if you joined Galvanize at two, in 2017 and now you're an instructor, that's a pretty large leap, is it not? Uh, yeah, yeah. There were definitely some trials and, and errors, <laughs> but I've somehow made it through. So, uh, yeah, I did a little self studying before I joined Galvanize. So the the transition from self taught to classroom student wasn't too bad. You know, we've spoken to this point a little bit in, in past episodes, and, and I've spoken to it. I'm sure people have heard me say, uh, you know, in relation to my audio, but I think it's just huge knowing 
having that basis or having a background or just having a little bit yeah. of an idea of what's going on before you jump into these classes because you're not so stuck on learning, uh, you know, hearing things for the first time or trying to uh, be, over, you know, being overwhelmed. You actually have already heard some of these buzzwords, these terms, maybe understand a few of the concepts. And from there, you can actually build on them and learn. And I, I mean, in my mind, that's huge. Was that, I mean, self-learning beforehand, was that, was that big for you or do you think you could have done it without it? So I, th I think I could have done it without it, and, and here's the reason why. So we we had a uh, like an entry program, so a two-week like crash course on JavaScript before you even got into the Galvanize program. Uh, I learned more in those two weeks than I had taught myself in probably three months prior. Oh, wow. Um, that being said, it did help to kind of understand these terms beforehand, so a lot of the syntax and a lot right. of the, the terminology already made sense to me. Right. Um, so maybe it helped a little bit, but yeah, just... I grew substantially having that instructor in front of me where I could say, like, why is this happening? Why is this working the way it is? Or what's going on here? Right. And, you know, even if it's online learning or you're on watching YouTube videos or whatever it is, yes, they're probably catering to some of the questions that they think you'll have. But like you said, just being here and galvanize uh, with a real instructor, I feel as if they really know what you guys are struggling with because they've been dealing with new students for the past three, four, or whatever amount mm -hmm. of years, right? So I think that's maybe a little bit where that difference comes in, uh, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, so like you were saying, with videos, they can only assume what you're going to guess, whereas an instructor, you actually get to ask that question. Right. So it might be something that even instructors have never thought about. I mean... As an instructor, I've been asked plenty of questions by my students. I'm like, wow, I never, never really thought about it that way. Let's try to figure this out. Right. And, you know, it's funny about that. Skipping a little bit ahead in the story, I'm, I'm sure we'll jump back. But, you know, we spoke to, who was it? Troy, I believe. Yeah, Troy, another instructor at Galvanize, about being asked questions he doesn't know the answer to. Yeah, and that's exactly. kind of what you that just alluded this to. Yeah. went right through my head. Same thing as, like, a student will ask a question that you might not know the answer to, but you're willing to go, okay, hey, let's figure this out. We'll get it done, figure it out together, and then move on to the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Troy said the exact like same thing. The the curiosity needs to be there. If yeah. you're if this is the life that you want, if you want to be a developer, you have to be curious. Yeah. So you can't just look at a problem and be like, sorry man, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and then you just be, go on your way. Yeah, you gotta yeah. be willing to to try and to help out. I mean yeah. especially in our current position as instructors, not just web developers. Yeah, and it just helps you more as an instructor because the next person or next student could ask a similar question oh, right and then you can go okay this is how we figure it out take him through the steps but then also at the same time you could get to the next student and they have a question that you don't know about either so then you got to start the whole process all I feel over like it really keeps you guys on your yeah. toes yeah yeah it does a good job of making sure that we're we're not stagnating at yeah. all well and the nice thing that i i think is incredible about galvanized instructors and i could be partial i could not be but the fact that our instructors don't teach from a textbook. There's, I, I like that. Yeah, there's no book that you go, go buy at the bookstore and you follow, okay, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. So you guys can really teach what's going on in the real world and change it up as it happens. Yeah, yeah, the, the fluidity Which of the Which also keeps you guys on your toes because you got to know what's going on. Yep, yep. As an unbiased person, I, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> as an unbiased person. <laughs> Well, um, and I, I think your opinion is a little unbiased because you were a student and now you're an instructor. Yeah. yeah so you've true. seen it from both sides right now. 
Now, when you, you were, so let's just jump back a, a slight bit here. Now, we were just speaking about how you were self-learning and then you came into the web dev program in 2017 and you learned so much in those two weeks, uh, you know, of that crash course. So you had no prior knowledge here before 2017 of this web development life. Uh, so the life, not really. I've dabbled a little bit. Uh, my dad's been in IT for most of his life, so okay. he's always kind of gently tried to guide me towards right. something IT or, or web right. or just something with computers. So you've been around it, but not necessarily yeah. dove into in it. it. Yeah. I mean, it still blows my mind that you could be entering it at seven in 2017 and be teaching it in 2019. I mean, that yeah. is... That's mind-blowing to me because I feel like, you know, in the other stories we've heard on this podcast with professors, there was at least a much longer time period of going through different, yeah. um, being a professor at different places, maybe being a, you know, an entry-level professor. I mean, galvanizes pretty yeah. big stuff. That's, that's yeah. huge. I mean, can you talk through a little bit of the, the challenge from student to professor and kind of what that whole journey looked like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think... Uh, as I, I kind of touched on earlier, uh, I was very fortunate to, to kind of grasp these concepts relatively easily. Uh, humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> we have an episode dedicated to you. So this is your one time yeah. to be able to humble brag yeah, all humble you brag. want. Humble brag all <laughs> episode you want to. Give it a so, shot. Yeah, so I, I, I went through the program. I did pretty well. And uh, I'm, I'm a reasonably personable kind of guy. So... There were, there were two sides to that. I mean, the struggle, obviously, of making sure you know the material is there is, is always going to exist. And, right. and making sure that you are able to formulate those, those answers or those, uh, the explanations. Right, the teachings. Yeah. But as far as the rest of it went, like I, I had a grasp myself of the curriculum as a student, uh, the feeling of being a student. I was able to, to speak eloquently enough to other people and I spent most of my time as a student trying to help other students along. Mm, I feel like that happens a lot in this Galvanize yeah. program. Yeah, it's huge. There's a lot of camaraderie here, so you'll see a lot of interaction between uh, people who are getting ready to graduate and people who are just starting the program, I mean, and anywhere in between. Now, let's let's touch on that, that bit of camaraderie a little, uh, a little bit here because We've, we've heard so many students say that when they run into trouble, they're able to just turn to one of their peers downstairs and say, hey, can you help me with this problem? And if not up here, they go to the professor. Now, is that a situation where you're just kind of sitting in class or not even class, you're just sitting downstairs and somebody turns to you and asks you a question because they know you might grasp it? I mean, how does that work? Do you yeah, have certain so classmates that you're supposed to go to? or I mean, I don't know. No, no. I mean, I think certain students kind of get that reputation whether like even if it's not presented uh outright there's always that wow this person seems to really be getting these that yeah. makes sense yeah so they they usually are the ones that are turned to first um and then since we have just an open study area once lectures are over they could just kind of turn to whoever they want so some students prefer to go directly to the instructor some decide to turn to their right or left and pick one of their fellow students yeah. or maybe an upperclassman and it's totally a collaborative effort. I mean, there isn't anybody that I know of that would say, no, I don't know that, and then just turn their head. I mean, everybody wants to help everybody. It's yeah. Everybody wants everybody to succeed. Right. And I'm trying to put my finger on, in my opinion, why this is so different in a technical school like this, you know, a little bit of a, a different type of school than it is at, you know, say your community college English class or whatever, because I know I've been in community college. Yeah. I haven't been to university. I, you know, I, I dipped out a little bit early and got my audio degree, but 
I feel as if here you're able to look to people and actually gain value, whereas in some other, you know, more traditional school settings, it's a lot harder to look to people and have them teach you something. And I don't know if that's, you know, just a product of the society we've been taught to believe as far as school goes and, and that this whole galvanized thing is so new and different or... Or maybe if that's just simply the small class sizes, or I don't know what it is. Do you guys have any idea what? I don't know what it is either. I mean, I, I go downstairs every day to the lower level, and it's I see everybody open and willing to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, in the traditional school, you go in, everybody sits themselves at a cubicle in the library, sides up, doesn't want to talk to anybody. And our open area, I mean, so how do you guys do it? You have stand-up in the morning. Yep. And then you kind of plan your day, and then it's open education. Yeah. You should and actually then you do stand-up. You should actually take us through a day, Yeah, absolutely. as yeah. Bryce is alluding yeah, to. Because yeah, because there, there's no cubicles in our space. There's no dividing yourself from the other person. Yeah, and I, I assume that is entirely intentional. Um, I would think we so, want yeah. it, We want to create a I very open agree. environment. Yeah. So our day usually, as, as Bryce said... It starts with a, a stand-up, so we just kind of get together as uh, not just a class, but as a whole of Galvanize. So every cohort will come in to the same room, and we'll just kind of offer up the chance for anyone to talk about anything interesting they might have run across, or... Uh, in terms of questions, problems, have, yeah. anything? Yeah, so it's usually technical related, but even if it's not, just, just a chance to say, hey, like... I thought this was cool because you never know. I mean, I happen to be a avid board game player, so if I had an interesting—I don't know—an interesting tale about something board game related, I might find other people who like board games. Right. So it's almost even it not it, aside from being a place to discuss cool things that happened in the technical world. It's a decent place to ten, kind of see where people's interests lie, and you know what kind of new friends you might yeah, be able to make. Absolutely, we've had uh, a couple students are avid rock climbers, so they mm. ended up talking oh, about I didn't rock know that. climbing a bunch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after stand up, we we have a, a warm up problem that's actually each cohort specific. So depending on where you're out through the program, you'll do it with your classmates. Uh, and that's usually about an hour, and uh, and then after that we schedule some lecture time. So if it's yeah, if it's uh, oh wow, that's way better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not uh, immediately after warm up, there will be a little break where they can kind of work on the curriculum, uh, and then we'll get into a lecture, uh, and then again it's it's open study time. As long as we're not lecturing, you can kind of work wherever you'd like. As long as you're not disturbing people, and you can work next to whoever you'd like. Right. Now, in the traditional sense of the word, do you guys have homework for your students? Uh, I mean, they have certain expectations with how far through the curriculum they need to get, uh, and there's exercises attached to that, but we don't have, like, formal homework. Uh, so it's mostly just, hey, by the end of the week, this is where you should be at, so make sure that you're on pace. Cool. You know, I'm just firing off questions now because they're coming into my mind, and mm-hmm. this is kind of why we're here. Uh, you know, curious to know... From you being in the the program, was there any point where you felt like you were asked to do too much or you felt like it was just impossible to complete everything you had to? And to piggyback off that, once you became a professor and you'd already been through it, 
was it easier for you to understand at what point in the course kids are going to have issues and and how to walk Ooh, them through those hard that's a parts? Good question right there. Uh, yes, absolutely. So so quarter three is front end frameworks. So we learn React and Redux, uh, which are just basically nicer ways to make your application look great and function better. Um, yeah, I, I really struggle with that quarter. I found it hard as a student, and I find it the hardest quarter for students uh, to, to get through. And it's not necessarily the sheer amount of coursework as much as it is this this shift in mindset. So all of a sudden, you, you've been taught all these things that slowly progress up to quarter three and kind of teach you the, the basis for all that. And then you've got to change your way of thinking to understand this new concept. Uh, and I found that, yeah, that's that's where a lot of people hit walls and they, they struggle or... No, I, I just think it's huge for you being a professor and them to have you because you've hit that wall and you, you went through it and you understand that. And yeah. that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure that you can help people with that, that change of mindset. And so do you, here's a question for you. Do you think it's more of a benefit or do you think it's a benefit plain plain old benefit as to being an instructor having gone through the galvanized program rather than just an instructor that was some not just i don't mean to downgrade it but do you think it's more of a, ben, a, a benefit that you went through our program and now you're an instructor in galvanized versus somebody just got hired as an instructor yeah yeah so i love that question it's it, it is a great question um I think there's two sides to that. So there's See, I'm here to ask good questions, too, yeah. not just to say dumb shit, dumb <laughs> fucking shit. Uh, yeah, there's there's certainly benefits to it. Obviously, I'm familiar with the program, so I understand what not only what the students are going Thank through, you. but what they're going to be learning. And uh, I think that helps a lot. Um, and just the, the onboarding. So I already know what's being taught what days because I learned them and I took right. notes on them. So I know the important topics and I know the order in which they need to be spread out. So I, I think just ramping up and getting used to being an instructor and teaching the students, I do have some benefits there, but I'm obviously more green than just picking up someone who's been in the industry for sure. a little longer. Sure. But I, yeah, I mean, I think it's good in your position that you've been through the program. You know where the hard spots are. You know where the downfalls can be so that you can recognize that with your students as you're trying to get them through the program oh yeah yeah there's been plenty of times where i'm like yeah i struggle with that as well yeah uh, here's here's how i figured it out yeah. or here's a resource that helped me absolutely yeah. helps. i think that gives you a great relationship with the students totally yeah do. they can definitely connect yeah. to you more and feel as if you're more one of them yeah then rather just than just them. say you don't know this you right. have, you don't know what i'm going through right you can say well bullshit i do and yeah. it's funny yeah. because you know talking about traditional school again thank you i feel as if when we speak about traditional school we have all these people with all these you know degrees bachelor master's degrees and, and for the most part let's just put call it what it is the stereotype is that professors and teachers are a lot older than us and if they're not older yeah, a lot exactly. older than us then they're at least older than us i feel as if this galvanize program has absolutely taken that standard and that stereotype and just blown it wide open it doesn't matter how old you are what your color you are what gender you are it doesn't yeah. matter anything you can be a professor you could be yeah, a student totally. you could be what you want to yep. be at galvanize and i think that is fucking huge and i just yeah. cussed because i think it was important <laughs> you know that i mean to me that's ginormous that yeah. you can be a younger professor and relate to your students yeah. you don't have to be this you know stereotypical you know white-haired old lady yeah. <laughs> well yeah. you were here when i 
I don't know his name, but we had an older gentleman here that was probably in his 50s. Uh, Tom? There's Tom, Tom, and David are the three oldest that I knew of. Tom ended up working for Chassis. Not that Tom. Another guy who was older than him. Older than him? Yeah. Well, I'm not. Who, who was in the same cohort as the guy that just came out right out of high school. Not came out, but came to galvanize right out of high school. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> Your mind's in the gutter. <laughs> that came out wrong. But, I mean, he was being taught by people half his age. Yeah. Even me. I'm, I'm almost 30, and when I was a student and I found out that my, my quarter two instructor was a 20-year-old kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. But... To, to his credit, I mean, he helped break that stereotype to where all of a sudden I'm Who like... Who was that? Who taught that you? That was Troy. Troy, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Troy started here before he even could buy beer. Yeah, which is crazy. And and for me, I I was almost disappointed until I actually arrived in his class and I heard his first lecture. I'm like, okay, this guy knows his stuff. Yeah, I know. He's badass. Yeah. I, I think there's something so valuable and important to being able to open up your mind and respect whoever it might be age whatever it is um because i think so many people do look down upon younger people and think that they don't know as much yeah. when in reality they can probably offer a lot that you don't know and you can offer a lot that they don't know exactly. and i think it tells a lot about the type of person you are not just you but anybody anyone is when you're able to look to somebody younger and actually respect them respect what they have to say and yeah. listen with intent because not everybody can do that. And I think there are a lot of younger people that can be learned from. I mean, I've gone through this stereotype when I was hiring people for my uh, other company, Picmonic, when we were hiring voice actors. I was, at the time, this was four years ago, so I was 19 years old, and I was hiring 27-year-old voice actors with bachelor degrees, master's degrees. And, you know, some of them would look at me, and, you know, I could see in their eyes they were just so unsure and look kind of looked down upon me. And then there were others who ended up working with us and being great voice actors that looked at me and said, wow, you know, you're... I can't do audio and you can't do voice acting, so let's be a team. And then I respect what you do and you respect what I yeah. do. And so I think that's something that is happening more these days is people are coming to accept it. Um, but especially here in this tech space, I think it's it's really big. Yeah. Cool, man. So let's. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the ceilings in a career because you kind of brought it up in the intro about how at your other place or other job you felt like there was a bit of a ceiling. And more and more in my life as I get older, I'm starting to see that certain jobs, certain careers, certain different situations you get yourself in do have ceilings. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of just curious your perspective on a ceiling and how you identify that that even exists. And, you know, why would you try to get out of that situation? I know that's a lot of questions, yeah. but let's oh, just no. kind of speak to I it a little I bit. I think I could track that. Awesome. Uh, so, so the way that I, I kind of saw that happening was essentially just the the blue collar bump. So every year you get maybe a dollar raise or something along right. those lines. And and I had worked in the same industry, different companies, uh, two different ones, but the same industry for almost a decade. And I had essentially doubled what I made, which sounds great, um, but. For someone who's 29, who uh, is about to get married and someday going to have kids, it it wasn't enough for me to feel comfortable trying to raise a family. And I think that was the, the big push was, okay, it's time to pull up your bootstraps and, and get to work. Because so like the this feeling is, of responsibility almost. Yeah. Yeah. Just sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, no. But that's that's 
well said. And I agree with that. Um, I think it's it's a little hard sometimes to identify when there's a ceiling, depending on how the people around you uh, you know paint the picture. I'd l- I like to think that everybody's very clear about where you can go and what you can do, um, but but it, sometimes it's a little bit misconstrued what what people are allowing you to do and what you can do. Yeah. Um, but but on the flip side, it can be pretty easy to tell when there's a ceiling. I mean, you can look all the way up the chain and say, hey, it, you know, where can I go from here and I think to piggyback off that, since I'm getting super off topic here, is that you know with this whole tech world and, and and not just tech but audio and media and whatnot, there's almost no ceiling because no one's dictating what you do at all. Even if you work for a, a media production company uh, or you work for doing web development for somebody, you can end up using that talent to make any amount of new things that haven't been introduced to this world. Yeah, if you're making cars. I guess you could bring new technology if you're making burgers or whatever it is. Yeah, there's you know you can make new ingredients or whatever, but there's really a ceiling that's pretty obvious. So I guess what I'm getting at is that this tech world does offer so much room for growth, and I don't think there's really a ceiling in any of these jobs per se. Yeah. So I don't know. That's really the thing that I like is to that point. I mean, there's no ceiling, but there's also just an absurd amount of directions that you can take so if you do decide say you're in financial tech or something you're helping some bank build their website and and track their money and and all their users and stuff you get bored of it you could just change the industry i mean you you could be tech that's that's kind of one half of anything else Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beautiful things that I that I really enjoy about this industry is that we're we're just almost like a side note. We're vital, but we we go hand in hand with any other industry because you can include tech in anything. So it's almost as if, like you said, you you're, you're vital, but you're you're also a side piece a little bit. As in, you can plug this side piece into any of your main projects and. and to what degree you plug that in is up to the company that decides to implement it. And Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's almost there's almost not any industry that isn't tech related somehow. Especially with advertising and websites yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, stuff. when you yep. think about all that tech is in, how can you really have a business that isn't tech somehow? Somehow. Yeah. I mean, on any scale. Well, nowadays, even just having a website for your business means that you're involved in tech. I mean, the the barrier to, to be considered technical is is not that is not high a lot. Up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could consider the the baseball field stadium uh, jumbotron that's outside. I see every day on my way home from work. That's tech, and that's just totally the side tech. of a corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's places that people don't even think yeah. it is. And I order. Every year, I order, <coughs> excuse me, a tub of popcorn. Well, cheese corn, really. <laughs> what? Cheese corn, really, because it's my favorite. Cheddar cheese corn is the best. Side note, caramel popcorn is trash. Yeah. Oh, I like that ingredient. <laughs> yeah. I usually get pushback no, on that. If I could buy a whole tub of cheddar cheese corn, that would be awesome. Mm. But I buy it from this them. little small shop in Iowa. Who would think that a popcorn shop would be techie? But they have a website, so to some degree, they are techie. Yeah. And to some degree, the only reason that you're able to purchase their product and keep them in business is because they're techie. Because they're online. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's crazy what yeah, I mean it's like people try to to oppose it and say oh I'm not going to implement tech into what we're doing and again when I say tech I'm using it super loosely that do, that could be a website it doesn't have to be a whole back end it doesn't have to be development. a development yeah um and, and so many people are still stubborn to it, but not nearly as ma- many. I guess so yeah. many would be a, a bad um, picture to paint because it's it's not true. It seems like everybody's pretty much on board, but then you still have those dinosaurs that are, you know, scared of it. But, I mean, one day we're not going to have newspapers, so they better get on board. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, let's transition. Well, I guess it's not really much of a transition. I want to go back to the professor stuff yep. because I think since we have you on, it's, it's great to, to ask you some of this stuff. And for people that want to kind of compare different professor outlooks i think this will be good as a comparison between uh, or a contrast between troy's episode and yours so i'm going to ask you a few questions i asked troy's because i'm looking at the notes from there um oh good idea nice work i just would like to know kind of his take (laughs) on it see how nick goes with it so uh i asked him is there a sense of responsibility when you're a professor because to me when i first heard that troy was coming on our show i immediately was struck like wow He's a professor. He ha- he gets like paid all this money and all these not all this money, but I mean like he gets paid. <laughs> we to don't know have how much gets all paid. these students in his hands that are paying a lot of money. If that makes sense, that so, makes sense. So yeah. students are paying a lot of money. I got to imagine you guys understand that yeah. and feel some sense of pressure or responsibility. No, no, none at all. No That's responsibility. Crazy. You guys are weird, dude. <laughs> you guys are so weird. Did Troy no, say the same thing? He said there's definitely responsibility <laughs> yeah. felt, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course you do. Yeah, there's there's expectations that you have to live up to, um, really in any job. So I don't think it's that much different, except for the fact that that's true. That's would, a good perspective. You essentially consider yeah. your job as that company's trainer at this point. So instead of training somebody how to do CAD programming for my job, I I now teach them how to do web development. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of responsibility, and I've I've come to realize that I actually really enjoy teaching. Um, so you enjoy teaching because you like getting up in front of the class and kind of helping people learn, or you enjoy teaching because you like the sense of responsibility and overly sense of I can't mess up type thing. Just to jump in real quick, yeah. I think as an instructor, there would be great satisfaction in sitting with a student. And having their light bulb go on and go, yeah, bing, absolutely. And go, hey. Yeah. And then as an instructor, you go, yeah, you finally got it. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So the the standing up in front of the class part is still a little nerve wracking, but uh, outside of that, yeah, it's it's a great feeling to know that these people look up to you and that they're they're actually paying attention to you and learning things. And then you get to see them implement it. So at the end of every quarter, uh, all of our students go through projects. So they have a week to kind of develop and show off what they've learned in that quarter. Um, To be able to see the things that they can make in such a short period of time, knowing that you taught them how to do that is a a truly incredible feeling. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I think that'd be really cool. Just, I mean, just because in conversation I have with people where I'm trying to explain my position on stuff, and they go, oh, yeah, I understand it. I'm like... That's awesome that you can understand my position. So as an instructor, I can only imagine it's that much better because then it helps them get to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And coming back to the responsibility, that that's kind of where it lies. It's like yeah. these people are relying on you to, to understand these things, to then go out and get a job and do these things. So there's a lot of responsibility in making sure that you're teaching them adequately. Yeah. Okay. Well, to piggyback off that then, you know, do you, are you familiar with imposter syndrome? 
Yes. Okay, so for anybody listening that's not aware, imposter syndrome is essentially when you put something out and you think, oh, I'm not good enough, and you always inevitably kind of think, oh, this isn't good enough, I could do better, because we all struggle with this all the time. Do you experience, oh, maybe I'm not teaching them enough, maybe I'm not making this point clear enough, maybe I'm not qualified to teach them. I know you are, and you know you are, well, I guess you're going to answer right now if you think you are. (laughs) But uh, just curious your perspective on that. Yeah, no, uh, I definitely, I, I hope I am. I mean, I guess the the students would know better than me whether I, I have that right. But yeah, of course, I experience imposter syndrome every day. So you wake up, you, you get prepped for what you're going to be teaching them, and you just do this kind of self-check of like, I can do this. You're, you are good. You know this material, and, and you will knock this out of the park. I love that. And that's that's it. I mean, I, I face imposter syndrome every day, but I got to stay conscious about it and make sure that I'm, I'm taking steps to kind of counteract it. That's my favorite response to an imposter syndrome question I think I've ever heard in my life. Well, thank you. I, I think that that is just <laughs> huge, and, and I truly mean it. Giving yourself that pep talk is so big because we all get over imposter syndrome in our own ways, right? For me, personally, I'm an audio guy. This is going to be very revealing to people, so we'll just let this kind of float out there, but realize I'm a responsible individual, everybody. When I work all day, all week on a bunch of big, important audio things, I start to really lose sight of, it doesn't sound good. Does this project sound good compared to this project? Is this going to be good enough? I swear, for me, with audio, I ha- one if I I get drunk on Friday, a Friday, not every Friday, <laughs> especially on Friday. <laughs> on Friday, when I get drunk, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is, I can almost check my work by being a little bit intoxicated and then bringing all my sessions back up because I'm not, I'm not so attached and dove in and like all detailed about it as I was earlier in the week. I have a chance to kind of let my brain be relaxed not be focusing in on these stupid things that only i will notice and kind of see it from a a farther away perspective and 99 out of 9 99 out of 100 times it's it's better than i thought it was and i feel way more comfortable about it now that was a super long way to say that's how i check my imposter syndrome but i really love your your self-talk because i've spoke about it on this show and other shows before Um, I think having a little bit of an ego but not really letting it show too much is huge. You have to say, just like you said, I can do this. I know this material. I'm going to kill this session. I'm going to teach these kids all this stuff. I think that's huge because you need to believe in yourself and you need to have a little bit of an ego and think you're better because if you think you're not, then you're not going to be good. And, you know, that's not to say go let it be known that I'm – to, you know, knowledgeable and talented, but it is to say, tell yourself that because you need that. Yeah, it's all about balancing it, making sure that you're you're not confident to the point where you're cocky and you're not uh, so unsure of yourself that nobody wants to learn from you or, or hire you. Or Well said, well yeah. said. So, uh, moving on with these Troy comparison questions, I think I asked, her, uh, <laughs> asked him if he mastered We've already kind of touched on this, but if he mastered his, you know, craft first, so that being web development, it sounds like you are still learning every day. Maybe, yeah, you are a master of certain parts, but would you consider yourself a fully rounded, mastered, nothing left to learn web developer? No, and I don't think I'll ever reach that point. I hope I never reach that point. If I do, then I'm just lying to myself because there's so much out there that there's no way you could ever learn it all. And if you're not hungry enough to continue learning, then you're dead in the water. I love you. 
<laughs> that sounded really weird. I meant to say I love your message, but it kind of just came out as I love you. Um, that's beautiful. I, I think that's huge because alluding back for people listening to what Troyce kind of said on the, the matter was that as a web developer, if you've run out of problems, if you've solved every problem, then you're not doing your job anymore. Because as a web developer, you're always fixing something or creating a solution for something or yeah, creating or something creating new. something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you're not creating, fixing, or working on something, then you're not doing your job anymore. You're actually just being stagnant, just like you mentioned earlier, yep. which it seems like you, you guys kind of think alike, and that's probably why you guys are where you are. Uh, moving right along, because we've got about 10 to 15 minutes left, um, just curious to know why maybe you teach over quote-unquote going into the industry. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good... Yeah, we did ask Troy that question. That is a good question. Um, honestly, I think it was just opportunity and luck. So I, I graduated uh, early May, and within about a week, Galvanize had kind of reached out to me for the position, and I was fortunate enough that... Uh, well, I guess we were all, Galvanize and myself, were fortunate enough I didn't have a whole lot going on um you didn't have to go look for a job yeah yeah i didn't have to look for a job which basically didn't even have to interview either really well i think that's more on the dl but yeah no i just kind of showed up day one well yeah (laughs) i mean from an outside perspective i don't know how it happened i i knew i knew you were a student one day and instructor another day yeah i had six months of interview i'm guessing yeah i was gonna say (laughs) they knew you from before yeah yeah so it, it it just it worked out really well and as i mentioned earlier like i I didn't know whether I was going to like teaching or not. I'd never really tried it. Um, And, yeah, I just, I kind of fell in love with it. And, yeah, so I I haven't tried to So basically your experience to get an instructor job at Galvanize was basically just going through the program. Yeah, well, going through the program and how I went about the program. Right. I think is what really stuck out to them. But, yeah. Well, that's yeah, cool, man. For yeah, literally, graduation. I just knew he was a student one day. And next thing you know, he's in employee meetings, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, okay. yeah, that's strange. Cool. It's a rapid shift, but it was good. I think, and this is kind of the conclusion we came to. I just want you to hear it. We decided that teaching is being in the industry. Troy actually said that he believes that because he touches so many developers or students that will go on to do so many different things and touch so many different people and products that he actually thinks he is truly you know even more a part of the industry if anything and and again he's (laughs) he goes i think something along the lines in his own words like (laughs) don't get me wrong we don't like get paid like mcdonald's worker he didn't say that but i mean you yeah. guys still are in the industry. It's not like yeah. a teaching as a cop-out. You guys are in the industry, and I think that's... Yeah, and, and what he referenced huge. to was... This is what I took from it, was... So, in in the world today, teachers don't get paid a lot of money. Like, in middle school, elementary, high school... Traditional school. Traditional schools, they don't get paid a lot of money. So, I think... And Troy made this clear that it's not true that when you decide to be an instructor in this industry that you're taking a back seat to what you would be making working for a company like Google or American Express or something like right. that. Right. Very well put. And that's not the case. It's not that you took a step back. You're still being effective in the industry of tech. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. 
Yeah, and I think that's what Troy was getting to. Cool. Um, okay, let's just do one more question that I asked Troy to end this little fun segment, and then I want to kind of touch on student projects to close this podcast out. Okay. Um, how, uh, at what point do you feel as if you know enough? And I know you already said there's always something to be learned, but I guess I'm speaking more specifically to teaching. At what point did you feel like, okay, I officially know enough to where I think I can teach versus, you know, I'm sure like a month into the program, you didn't think you could get up and teach, you know? Yeah. I still wonder <laughs> sometimes. Uh, depending. That's so called imposter syndrome. Yeah. Rewind five minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, it, day to day, the the material changes. So there are, there are definitely days that... Uh, I feel like I, I just I intuitively grasped uh, much quicker than others and those are the days where I'm confident and I, I don't need to necessarily give myself a pep talk because I know it's there um, but it took time I usually have about two iterations of a, of a subject just giving it to somebody whether it's a class or another instructor or I'm just prepping in the mirror or something um, it takes two to three iterations to, to make sure that I got it all. And that's without the students' questions. So just making sure that I'm, I'm speaking well and I'm describing what I know that I should be describing, how I should be describing and it. Covering all the topics. And yeah. And then once the students ask questions, it's right out the window again. And <laughs> yeah. I go right back into <laughs> imposter syndrome. It's like, oh, fuck, I didn't think of that. <laughs> exactly. And then you learn and you reiterate. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so lastly, I want to speak kind of to the student projects thing since you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, last week, I think the students all presented a lot of their projects. Yeah, but last, the cohorts. last Thursday was capstones and other than our calling capstones now. It's uh, demo day. Demo day. That's demo right. day. But we had both data science and software engineering. Although that one was still data science, though. So. You mean web development? Or web, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. Now, I actually took the time <laughs> to walk around uh, and, and look at a lot of these projects. Yeah. And, you know, I started speaking to Frank. Uh, Frank Francisco or Frank Cisco, whatever his last name. He's, he's been actually, on he's a, long a student. Time ago. It was a long time ago. Still an EC at Galvanize. And he has a podcast episode on Between Two Taps. I'm not sure which episode it is, but you not can sure definitely either. look back yep. and find it. Point being, I started out by looking at his project because I knew Frank and I was comfortable talking to him. And, you know, he's showing me this thing. And, and event at the end, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm just working on it for like 10 days. I said, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, 10 days. None of us have been working on this for more than like a week or two. I said, what are you talking about? Isn't this like your project, your, your whole semester's work? I said, no, this, the point of the, these projects is to apply our knowledge to new uh, system or new um, languages or technologies yeah. and such. And that blew my mind. I, th I had been under the impression that they were working on these projects for quite a long time. So, I mean, no. our student, pro I'd love to hear Bryce speak about this too, because he's so integrated with the students. But um, what do you, how, I mean, are you proud of student projects? Do you, are you a fan of them? And do you think it's a cool thing that we do? And to Bryce, you being here so many different cohorts and student projects worth, uh, once he's done, I'd love to hear your kind of opinion on student projects. Yeah, yeah uh, go for it. I'm, I'm absolutely pleased every single time uh, a cohort graduates. Um, being able to see that, that knowledge, so they take what they've learned in the entire six months and they now have to apply that learning to something new that they teach themselves. 
and through that they have to build an application and like you said they only have about 10 maybe 14 days to complete it um so being able to see like just their their sheer willpower to get it done and their ingenuity and how they solve these problems and how they learn these new topics uh it's it's great and i i don't think i've ever been disappointed in a single project I, I can't imagine you would because every, when I was walking around, it seemed like everybody had a legitimate piece to offer. It yeah. seemed like everybody tried. Everybody, at least, even if they, ha- you know, the it wasn't as pretty, that the general application was always there. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to what Troy, yourself, and all the other instructors do for them and uh, the way you prepare them. So that that's huge for me. So. Um, Bryce, to, to close us out here, what do you think about student projects? I mean, you've seen so many of I them. I mean, what, what, these, what these people do in such a short amount of time is amazing. I mean, they get the, what's now going to be three months, is was six months. Um, but to see what they can do in two weeks with what they've learned over the past five and a half months is amazing i mean they do financial analysis they do what's the other one i saw astrology um music that is taking you saw this one too nick yeah, the music one yeah was the guy that was doing um reviews of local bands and and he wants to develop it into uh where they're playing and menus that they're going to serve and all this kind of stuff to um one of the women that did a hiking app and you can compare it to <laughs> other hikers and they can you know time and you can compete with each other and and it's just it it amazes me from cohort to cohort what these people do it's it's crazy it's like the the ideas are all different yeah it's totally it's it's totally your perspective um what was i gonna say everybody comes at it from a different perspective like i just said and it's like they get not smarter but they get more creative as they go on I mean from our first cohort to now because our first cohort was which one were you in uh, I was 73 so I think your first was like 47 40 yeah I was gonna say 47 48 something like that so where they've come from and it's it's not I don't know what it is creativity or or what but the things these people put out are just amazing. It, it might also be kind of seeing other examples. Yeah, see what came other, before you and just yeah. get ideas off that. Yeah, Because I know in traditional school, when I do an English project, they'd be like, okay, here's some past examples of students that did awesome things. Yep. I think just seeing some, that somebody did a, a hiking app can get your mind just spinning and be like, wait, what? I love biking. I love rock climbing, like yeah. you said. What if I made a rock climbing review app or whatever it is? I think maybe just seeing a small hint of what somebody else has done just gets their mind going and out of yeah. learn mode and into like, okay, I'm going to make something mode. So, yeah, because it's yeah. hard enough to come up with something new. But when you do that, it sparks the mind of people moving forward, in my opinion. They see that and they go, oh, that's a great idea, but I could do this to it and make it this. And then somebody else sees it and they go, oh, if I did this to it, I could make it this. And then it just keeps getting better and better and better. And on that note, we have to end the podcast today. Unfortunately, I have a client coming up today um, in a little bit here. I actually have to be at the studio in 20 minutes. But Nick, 
Thank you so much. I did not want to reschedule this one. Uh, no. Once I heard you were coming on, I wanted to make sure we could make this happen. So thank you for coming 15 minutes early. Thanks for giving, up your, giving us your insight. And yeah, hopefully man. we can have you on again. Yeah, thank you very much yeah, for Yeah, I appreciate it. Me. Thanks for coming, man. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Later.